Hey everyone, welcome to Stack Hunters. My name is Bradley Stalder. You can follow me on Twitter at FF Stalder. Welcome to Player Profiler YouTube tonight. I've got a great show in store for you. Chris Buonagara, Aaron Stewart are joining me from the Stat Masters. We're going to talk risers and fallers in the best ball streets. We're also going to talk about an important statistic in the best ball streets, and that is best ball points added per game. We're going to look at year-to-year -year correlations. We're going to look at best ball points per game in previous years compared to current ADP, and then we're also going to talk about some players that may be a little bit higher or lower based on that model. All right, and welcome to Stack Hunters. Chris, Aaron, we made it. We're in the right order. Look at us. It is a great day to be on the Player Profiler YouTube channel. I'm excited to be sharing the stream with both y'all. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I, I almost wish we were hosting you so I could go first, then we could go east to most beard. But otherwise, besides the beard thing, I'm having a great time. I'm already having a blast. Same, same. It's uh, it's great to have a best ball show and a best ball show come together. We're going to help people make some good decisions, right? You go play a profiler if you want to win. We do want to win. But before we get into tonight's topics, Chris, we were in the pre-show meeting and we were talking about the Green Bay Packers and wide receiver Christian Watson. I sent out some tweets a few days ago and poor Chris was trying to, to get at me about all of the Christian Watson love that I was sharing, but can you talk me through your saga and share with the people your thought process as you were trying to debunk Bradley's Christian Watson love? Yeah, so I was, I don't, I don't want to say necessarily a hater, but I certainly wasn't targeting Watson at the 3-4 turn on underdog prior to about a week ago. And anyone who does watch Stat Masters, the episode we just put out, Yesterday, on Monday, July 17th, we do dive into the new Christian Watson breakdown. But basically, Bradley tweeted about how his yards per route run were in the company of seven of the best receivers to ever play the game of football. So in my mind, I'm like, you can't just take one stat, put it up with the best players and say, oh, this makes him great. So I go, I'm going to go spend the next hour deep diving Christian Watson on player profiler i compared him to aj brown i compared him to other similar players i'm going through i'm going through and by the end of it i was like oh oh my god i'm totally wrong on christian watson this is a great player like the grinch on christmas my heart grew three christian watsons that day and now i am drafting him at the three four turn as a high upside uh, target leader on what should be at least a decent offense yeah, we, we like that Green Bay consolidated target share. It's going to be Christian Watson. We don't know what we're getting to get with Jaden Reed, the second-round pick this year. And Romeo Dubs had some volume games last year, but he was arguably one of the worst wide receivers in the NFL. Don't get me started, guys, on the Romeo Dubs. But, Aaron, you were also encouraged by the Green Bay Packers. You said that they have a sneaky shot of winning the division. You want to talk a little bit about that? Certainly one of the things I love to do is not just analyze fantasy football, but just take a step back and just look at the NFL side of things. I love tracking transactions, the depth chart. And when you look at the Packers, obviously they lose Aaron Rodgers. They, they're going to start Jordan Love. And that's what everyone's fixated on is, oh man, like such a step down. And, and that's true. But when you look at the rest of the roster, the offensive line, I'm pretty sure, it's like they're, they're top nine offensive linemen from last year, all back. That same backfield, Jones and Dylan, that duo is back for a fourth straight year. They know they know their roles there. The receiving core is super young, but there's an identity. They are going to want to establish the run. I don't think Jordan Love has to be great for them to win this division. Like the division's more wide open than what people want to admit. Detroit Lions get all the love, but they Chris and I agree that they might be a little too flashy, right? That people are just already in, I've called the Lions the NFC version of the Browns. They're going to disappoint you no matter what. Whenever they're supposed to win, they're going to lose. When 
when they when you think they're going to lose, they're going to win. Just never bet on those teams. And then defensively, too, you look at like the starters. It's first-round pick, first-round pick, first-round pick. They have an identity. And Jordan Love just has to go in and be, I guess, basically like Jared Goff to the Lions last year. Packers could still win that division. Packers our sneaky division leader. You heard it here from Aaron. Let's get into some of the best ball streets, ADP risers and fallers. The biggest riser over the past week. And this comes to no surprise is Alvin Kamara. He jumps 7.7% from his previous ADP. A week ago, he pleaded no contest to a misdemeanor from the Vegas nightclub incident. And historically the NFL has focused on a few things for suspensions. One is whether it's a repeatable offense and whether it's domestic violence, obviously they caught it on camera, but it's a question of what is the NFL going to do now? There's been some two to six game suspension notices thrown out there. Nothing official from the NFL. Chris, how are you approaching Alvin Kamara in the best ball streets? We've seen him rise in ADP. Is this an opportunity where now that we have clarity that we are targeting him or now that he's rising, we're just steering clear. Yeah, so I think the four to six games a handful of times on our show as the offseason has gone on. Early on, you were looking at him at a going to miss six weeks, but when he's back, it's a home run hitter. So a player who might not give you as high of an advance rate, but in those final tournament weeks of best ball could win you the tournament. The big question is how much juice does he have left? Now, what we saw last season was a player who literally led running backs in snap share was number four in opportunity share and number seven in weighted opportunities, but he wasn't necessarily an efficient runner, right? His All of his efficiency metrics the last two years for running were awful despite the high volume, but for receiving, he has still had, he's still been top 10 in yards per route run, yards per reception, route participation, anything you can name for a running back. Kamara is still elite at that. And to me, it's, it's, it's a similar case for Aaron Jones and Alvin Kamara, where there's no reason to think age is going to re retire them yet, but there's some limit to the ceiling when you bring in the backfield mates. Now, Kendry Miller has been dealing with this meniscus. Today, they announced that he's going to be still not participating in camp, but they expect him for the season. I think really it's just a, a scenario of where does his ADP land? Because I've been drafting him, I'm not going to say a ton, but through about 100 Best Ball Mania 4 drafts, I've probably put him on 7 or 8 teams at around pick 100. I would still draft him even, let's say he has 4 games or 6 games. I'd say you can still draft him up to around where James Conner goes because James Conner never plays a full season. But if he were to miss 0 games, you could take him right at where Aaron Jones goes. I just want to go any higher than that. This is still a player who is going to have limited touchdown share with the way the Saints spread the ball around in the red zone. But he is going to see a monster target share. When you look at their roster and how much they've thrown historically, even the last two years with the current coaching staff, and now they have Derek Carr and no one behind Chris Olave, unless you think Michael Thomas's ankle is going to revert five years in age. So it's certainly a player that at the right price still offers you a lot of paths to winning a lot of money in a best ball tournament. Now, Aaron, there are other rushers on this team. We've mentioned Kendry Miller, who's starting on the pup. But does this mean that we're targeting more Jamal Williams and Taysom Hill? Or does this not really move the needle for us? I'd say that Jamal Williams, I'm okay with. Because now what I fully anticipate is Jamal Williams' ADP to start falling as well. Like it slipped a little bit, but I'm starting to see Alvin Kamara go in the top 90. He was right outside the top 100. The news breaks. Obviously, he was going to start soaring up, but with Jamal Williams, there is a clear role on the Saints team. Kamara's not really a good runner of the football. Like it, it's always been the receiving game. There's He's never had 1,000 yards rushing, but also the efficiency. The past two seasons, we've seen a drastic decline in the yards per carry. And I know it's just yards per carry. We try not to put too much emphasis. But when it's a full yard per carry, and then the following season, it gets even worse. Like that, that is the red flags. That is honestly what Stat Masters, the show, is built on, is identifying these little things that are able to help us predict, look into the future, and go, there could be some warning signs. So 
with Kamara, you can draft Kamara, but also draft Jamal Williams. Like that is that's still what this team wants to do. Is they're going to want to run? Chris, you mentioned Michael Thomas and Chris Olave. Those two, along with now Alvin Kamara, those are the only three offensive players that are going in the top 100 in underdog best ball ADP. And so what that's telling me is, first off, Michael Thomas, completely wrong. Don't draft the guy that's only played, what, three games in the turn of this decade? Don't do that. But there's there's no other receivers. You, Jawan Johnson and Rashid Shaheed and Taysom Hill are all going in this weird range of the draft there where really what the drafters are telling us is, we don't know who the second receiving option is going to be. It's not going to be Michael Thomas. But I'm fine going with Jamal Williams. And yes, I know he scored about 50 touchdowns with the Lions last season. And if this was PPR, sure, I'd be concerned. But it's half PPR. He's going to get groundwork. I'm sure that he can he can be the goal line running back. And the Saints offense will be better, right? You go from Andy Dalton to Derek Carr. It's going to be better don't reach on Jamal Williams, but when he inevitably falls, and he will, like, don't be afraid to draft him. Yes, like, we want those guys to score a lot of points for week 17, but also those guys that might have a big role early in the season. Sometimes we don't pay enough attention to those guys. Kamara is going to be suspended. It's probably going to be four games. But historically, it's what the NFL does. Uh, if it's non-domestic uh, violence and it's a non-repeat, four games. So, Jamal Williams has the chance to really solidify a role there. Kendra Miller, what's he going to be at week one with the news today? Like he's still recovering from the knee injury. So Williams has that chance. It's it's a perfectly fine dart throw to, to take. And he establishes that role. Kamara and that declining rushing ability is not taking that role. Okay, cool. Let's continue on with Deontay Johnson. We'll go pretty quick for him. This is the second week in a row that he's risen pretty significantly. He's been a textbook touchdown regression candidate. People are coming around on his value. Remember last year, he was a top four round pick, sometimes a third round pick in those wide receiver premium leagues. He's no longer a value given that he was being picked in the in the sixth round, sometimes the seventh round. But back even on May 1st, it was, he was outside the top 80. Is he a buy or sell now that he's at pick 56, Chris? Yeah, at, at 56, it's now a scenario where I'm not targeting him anymore. If he falls or he works into my team build, he certainly offers a type of floor. I think this is a player we're going to talk about a little bit more in a bit with one of our, our topics coming up because the problem now is how much he gives you based on what you can find later. In the seventh round where he was going early to mid-seventh round, 140 targets is all that matters. It's a player that can earn 140 targets. But now in the fifth round, I got to worry about the the career low ADOTs never being over 10 yards, the career low yards per catch. And even, even if you add seven touchdowns to his scoring total from last year, it's only 180 fantasy points. 180 fantasy points was fantastic in round seven. It's just okay in round five. Still a great player, but the calculus does change as the price changes. Are you in agreement there, Aaron? Yeah, like early back in May, I love that ADP because I got him as a wide receiver four, which is perfect. That's the right upside. But now when he's going round five, some of your team builds, you may be drafting him to be your wide receiver two. That's not a winning formula. It's not. Everyone, of course, is going to go. He's going to score more touchdowns. But yeah, that's that's not the target that you want, especially with I'd rather take a take a flyer on, say, Marquise Brown or Chris Godwin, Chris Godwin, because he's better. Marquise Brown, because a little more volatility, but I like that. And Deontay Johnson, it's a safe guy. Just not what I want at that price. Yeah, I like Chris Godwin over Deontay Johnson, too. Nick Chubb here has jumped 7% over the last week. There's been no touch competition added. Zeke hasn't signed yet. Kareem Hunt hasn't signed yet. It's Jerome Ford and Demetric Felton in the backfield behind Chubb. Not an encouraging duo. Last year, Nick Chubb had a career-high 40.4% route participation. He was at 8.9 yards per reception. He's had three straight years of 8.5 or higher. 
I think if they include him in the passing game, like how we saw the Tennessee Titans elevate Derrick Henry's passing game role over the last couple of years, Nick Chubb could not only turn into the top five running back that he's being drafted right now, but if he gets more involvement in the passing game, there is a pathway for Nick Chubb RB1 overall. I just, we need to see a little bit more. I feel like I'm more confident in other running backs being having that pathway, but Nick Chubb, he can break off those massive, like low A dot catches and then just take the ball of the house like Derrick Henry. Are we, how do we feel about Nick Chubb here continuing to climb? There's, there's no wrong answers with Nick Chubb. There really isn't. I, I said on a episode six weeks ago when he was a two, three turn pick that it was unfair. You could start a draft with Justin Jefferson and Nick Chubb. You could draft Nick Chubb as early as the mid first round in my thoughts. And do I recommend it? No, but you would still be fine because he is just the new Derrick Henry in that I everything you said about the receptions was true. Doesn't matter. He's just so good, going to get so much work on the ground. And everyone's going to point to the six weeks with Watson, how his fantasy points fell off. Okay, you can look at six weeks of a guy's five-year career and project him based off that. Or you can use the infinite mass of knowledge and the dozens of games of him being dominant that we have. Kareem Huntley's behind 125 carries. The only downside, like you said, with the receptions in half PPR is that RB1 overall is probably not on the table if he doesn't get at least 60 targets. Derrick Henry every year was the RB3 to the RB5, not necessarily the RB1. And he is over 26, where typically the RB1 is a little more in the prime. The only downside to Nick Chubb is that Tony Pollard goes after him. Besides that, Nick Chubb is is guaranteed to finish somewhere in the RB3 to RB5 range if healthy. Just just do it. He's still not too expensive. To do anything but draft him is to massively overthink it. Aaron, are you also on board with Nick Chubb? Oh, yeah, because I know early, like Twitter is a fantastic place to get fantasy football analysis, right? And you had people early this offseason just going, oh, it's time to sell Nick Chubb. And it's like, what, what have you seen in this five-year career that makes you think he's going to fall off? If you've had Nick Chubb in Dynasty, this is what you've been waiting for. And I love the comparison of Derrick Henry, not just because they're both talented runners, but the, their involvement in the passing game is very can be very similar in that Chubb is – even though he's been involved more in running routes, he's still, you're not going to mistake him for Tony Pollard, Austin Eckler, Chris McCaffrey, any of those guys. But what he does do is it's usually it's like when he does get a, a catch in the backfield, he's going to turn that into something. His entire career. If you look at the yards per reception on player profilers, always very impressive. And now with no cream hunt, I'm sorry to all the people that are drafting Jerome Ford. It was Totally fine when he was an 18th round pick, but you guys got ridiculous and pushed him into the 14th round or so. Like Jerome Ford had eight carries for 12 yards as a rookie and didn't show signs of being like a capable NFL running back. Chubb is going to get opportunities. Like this, this Browns team is set up to do some damage. I, I truly think that they can challenge the Bengals for the division title. And you're not going to do that by taking Chubb off the field and giving a, a a role to Jerome Ford besides just occasionally spelling him. So yeah, with Nick Chubb, that price keeps going up and up. I uh, don't want to uh, get too overweight on him, but he's perfectly fine with where he goes. Usually at the turn, the one, two turn, you can get say a CD lamb, Nick Chubb. That's a great start in best ball. Yeah, I'm happy with drafting Nick Chubb in round two. Tony Pollard, you mentioned as well. Is I don't know if there's a bigger Tony Pollard truther on the app than Bradley Stalder, but here we are. Here we are. We're going to continue on. There are two more big risers, and then we'll get into some fallers. Kyler Murray has been getting a lot of positive buzz in the injury streets. He's on pace to to supposedly start the season. There have been some injury doctors who have said he's only going to miss one week or two weeks. There have been some some people, non-injury doctors, who have said, oh, he'll miss six games. He'll miss eight games. He'll... They'll hold him out the whole season if the Arizona Cardinals start two and four. And what's the point in 
starting cut no kyler murray is going to play almost the entirety of the season is the reality and i think that it's that the public is starting to wake up to that reality he's going to play the majority if not all of the season now the the real questions are how effective is he going to be coming off of the acl because as we know acl tears do affect all of the players, the first nine months, 12 months right after, they aren't going to return to their level of play, especially a rushing quarterback like Kyler, who depends on a, a lot of his fantasy points. A lot of his fantasy points are driven from the rushing and the rushing touchdowns, but also he's short. And so he needs to be mobile in the pocket to see the pathways and throwing lanes to get the balls to his short wide receivers like Greg Dortch and Marquise Brown and of course, my favorite Rondell Moore, the Ant-Man himself. Are are we I think that the jump is important for us to take note of, but Aaron, at what point is it appropriate to be stopping drafting Kyler Murray? I don't know if there really is, right? But it's because it's only recent that we've started to see him rise. Because at one point, two weeks ago, you, DJ Chark. Irv Smith, Jerome Ford were going before Kyler Murray in best ball. And that's just dumb, right? Like even a disappointing season from Kyler Murray last season, he was QB seven in points per game. And that, that type of upside, like this, the, what I think of from last year is like that he's going where Daniel Jones was going last year. Now, Daniel Jones had all the question marks because it's okay. We know we can run. We don't know if he's really a good quarterback, but, and some people were thinking that he might not even start the full season. He might get benched because the giants were supposed to be like tearing things down and everything. So it's, I'm floored that, that Kyler Murray's ADP who has been this proven producer at quarterback has seen his ADP go lower than what Daniel Jones, who I want to say was 14th round pick the year before and Jones finishes a QB 10, right? So Really, when we start going, where can we stop drafting him? Okay, if he magically starts climbing into, I don't know, the 12th round or so, sure. And it will depend on team build. If you draft Kyler Murray with the ACL, you have to make sure that you've got another quarterback before. But, man, even with this price rising, like of all these guys we're going to talk about, I'm still going to keep drafting Kyler Murray because the price, his ADP increase, it's still too low for Kyler Murray. Chris, is there a bear case for Kyler Murray? No, there's none whatsoever. Let's Kyler go. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the wall, though. Aaron's answer is very non-exact. I'll give you an exact wall, and it's Derek Carr. You still want Carr, you still want Russell Wilson, and you still want Aaron Rodgers before Kyler. Kyler's my number one most drafted quarterback up to this point in the offseason. It's about 17%. I keep low exposures. The thing with Kyler, everything you said is true about the mobility affecting him, but – he should be fine. It's another reason to be drafting Trey McBride and Michael Wilson, his two, his two targets who aren't undersized and will be on the field much more than Rondell Moore, who is a bust, in my opinion, or 2B1, even though a very flashy, fun player, basically just Tavon Austin all over again. But with Kyler, you draft him to be a low advance rate, high victory percentage player in the playoffs because – People probably don't get there thanks to him. But whatever he's limited with, as long as he doesn't re-injure, come the playoff weeks, he'll be very healthy. And he's a guy who has QB1 overall in the range. The only problem is Russ, who goes before him, plays the Chargers in Week 17. Rodgers plays the Browns in Week 17. And the Saints play 13 games in domes this year, have one of the easiest playoff schedules of any team. And of their five non-dome games, four of them are in the first six weeks of the season. They're going to have perfect weather. Their car can also potentially be a playoff winner. So you're getting the same thing out of three guys that aren't coming off an ACL and have better weapons. So that's where I would draw the line. If as Kyler keeps rising, I'm now not drafting him anymore, but I've also already drafted enough of him because like you said, the, he will play. That's not really a, a concern based off the old injury. The only thing that stops him is a new injury. The bear case would just be that quarterbacks don't typically separate. So to take a shot on such a risky player, even cheap, you're probably burning a roster spot when pretty much any quarterback any given week can be a top quarterback. Jared Goff was the QB3 last sep September. So there's definitely a bear case, but I see the the, the, the bull case of 
Justin Fields gave you nothing for the first five weeks last year and then was scoring 30 points a week. So it's there's definitely more upside than downside because every player has injury risk. Every player has injury risk. Uh, let's go to our last player that's one of the biggest risers, Nico Collins. He was top 36 last year in PFF receiving grade in yards per route run. Uh, July 6th via ESPN, Collins has been one of Stroud, CJ Stroud's favorite targets in the offseason. CJ Stroud has a favorite target, though, every other week. Maybe it's Tank Dell. Maybe it's, I don't know who's there, Robert Woods. Maybe it's someone, <laughs> Lord knows, can't keep track of who his favorite target is. I am out on Nico Collins at price. I do think that the 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 Houston Texans are going to be in bad straights, but I'd rather be taking, I'm out on him at that price because there are a lot of other running backs, for instance, especially in how I like to build my teams. There are a lot of running backs that are going in that range around Nico Collins, like the Tyler Algiers of the world, the Elijah Mitchells of the world. I'd rather take shots on guys who can make a difference in my lineup if they are thrust into a full role versus a Nico Collins, where he's not going to move the needle for me, even if there are like, what does he have two flex weeks or three flex weeks throughout the season? Like maybe that's just the skeptic in me, but Aaron, you're making faces at me. Let's get some feedback. What do you think of Nico Collins here? A hundred percent with you, Bradley, like Nico Collins is super fraudulent. And there's sometimes with best ball, like you do have to pay attention to the NFL moves. It will make you smarter on this. And just look at what the Texans have done this entire offseason. Sure, Collins like flashed and looked pretty with some advanced metrics. And I'll get back to that profile in just a moment. But just A, John Mechie, second round pick last year, just coming back. Like that's that's significant. I'm basically treating that as they used a second round pick on a receiver this year. I know it was last year. They didn't get to see him. They draft Tank Dell third in the third round. That's day two draft capital. And, and on top of that, drafting another receiver probably doesn't do anything, but they felt the need to double tap receiver twice in the draft, along with signing Robert Woods, even adding a Noah Brown. And I'm a Cowboys fan. Like Brown can get on the field, right? He'll and, get 50 targets. He'll get yeah. 50 useless targets. Yeah. And Dalton Schultz, I know, is a tight end, but like they knew that they needed receiving weapons. So I go, all these moves are telling me that if they and were Devin really, Singletary pass catching running back. Yeah, and and Singletary scores points too. He scores fantasy points. I know like player profiler, like our, our brand like hates Singletary, but he does enough in fantasy football. And that's the point on all this is like Nico Collins last year was his chance to shine because there's Brandon Cooks, who wasn't happy to be there. There was Damian Pierce, Nico Collins. And a whole lot of nothing at that point. But the team knew that they needed to add weapons. But if they were really confident in Nico Collins, this might be a bad, bad example now with recent news. But like Traylon Burks of the Titans, the Titans didn't do anything for the longest stretch of the offseason. Like you can be okay with Traylon Burks. Now, Hopkins, not so much. But Nico Collins from day one of the offseason, they're like, we need weapons because Collins is he's fine. He's a fine NFL player, but fantasy football, this was one on Statmasters that had is really when you look at the profile of Nico Collins, like he, he was a guy that, well, what was it? He's, he's tall, he's fast, which is great, but he's never been, I don't think he's been a big like yards per out run guy. And honestly, like by comparison, it's not an exact one for one, but it's pretty dang close is Nico Collins, who in two years hasn't topped 500 receiving guards in either season. It's like Marquez Valdez Scantling. If you look at how MVS started his career, where and MVS actually he just barely topped it, but in his second season got past the 500 yard mark. And I'm like, who do you really want? Do you want MVS or do you want lesser MVS? And that's what Nico Collins is. It's just this is the time of the year that people on Twitter get overhyped about all their favorite players. And I'm guilty of it. I'm a John U. Smith fan uh, years ago, just touting John U. Smith. Like I have fallen for that, but I'm not falling for that. Nico Collins, you can avoid them because it's not just running backs too. You can get like, usually Mike roster construction too. You can get quarterbacks around that. If you've waited on QB and you're needing to go a three quarterback build, there's Russell Wilson. There's even Jared Goff. There's just other options at other positions that I'd rather have. And there's even Jacoby Myers who goes after Nico Collins. I'd rather have the Nico. Chris, 
Are you a Nico fan or are you also out like Aaron? Put it this way. Buying Nico Collins is like you're online at the grocery store and you buy Vogue magazine because it's something you read on the cover. Oh, seven ways to lose weight in 2023. I need to read that more. Any bit of hype, any tweet, anything on Nico is just a way to get you to click through the next link. Here's how you know. So we're also a bit of a superstition podcast. So instead of stack hunters, I'll take one out of the book of ghost hunters and just worry about the, the more so supernatural. Scroll through the last two months of any fantasy football website, podcast, YouTube, and find an article or video titled very late round wide receivers to target. I guarantee you Nico Collins is on that list. Guarantee you. I'll pay any amount of money. Show me a list that's three or more players that doesn't feature Nico Collins and it's talking about guys after the 10th round. When someone fringe for no good reason, people might show you stats, but they're not good stats. For no good reason is this unanimously purchased. That's all you need to know. It's a bad pick. It's a bad pick. And like Aaron said, he's not that talented. People want to call him Jacoby Myers of last year. Jacoby Myers showed us for years that he was good and getting better at football. And then don't even get me started on like the effect of rookie quarterbacks being lesser fit for their teams. There's a million other players on Houston to draft if you really want Houston. I'm out. Dalton Schultz. That's my Houston guy. Dalton Schultz. One of my <laughs> top eight own tight ends. One of nine tight ends I think are draftable. That's the guy. That's the guy. That's the guy. All right. Before we get into biggest fallers and best ball points added, let's hear from our man, Matt Kelly. Hey, it's the Podfather of great news. The 2023 Draft Kit is live. It is world famous. Why? Because it is the best resource for winning fantasy football championships that exists. There are rankings and cheat sheets for every format you can imagine. We have projections both at the team level and the player level. And wherever you are, you can click on a player, open them up, and see in-depth written analysis about what to expect in fantasy football from that player this year. And then you can click on the team, and you can get even more in-depth analysis, all the drivers of fantasy production, both in a positive and negative direction for that team, including a signature trend. And the graphics are incredible. So these team insights, they give you the team-level projections, the vacated targets, the vacated ARs, and that one dynamic for each team that you need to know when making decisions on draft day. And we added a bunch of features. Individual cheat sheets for Theo and Billy and Dario. So you could take your favorite analyst and download their personal draft cheat sheet. And then in the commissioner's section, also brand new this year, Memphis Young lays out everything you need to know to manage a league, do's, don'ts, tips, and what the more innovative fantasy commissioners are doing this year. That's presented by Trophy Smack. The whole package is presented by the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the FFPC, Ray Garvin, Derek Brown, the best minds in the industry contributing analysis. It's certainly not the most inexpensive draft kit on the market, but it is the best. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Go get it. That's right. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Get yours today. Gents, we've got some biggest fallers. We'll start with the biggest faller of them all over the last week, and that is Juju Smith-Schuster of the New England Patriots. He is still dealing with a knee injury that bothered him last year. My goodness, this guy cannot stay healthy. He dealt with the concussion, the knee issues. We can just do it easily. This is our analysis. Raise your hand if you are out on Juju Smith-Schuster this year. Okay, all three of us, consensus. Let's move on. Okay, Michael Pittman he has lost 5%. This is the second week in a row he makes the biggest fallers list for the Stack Hunters podcast. Obviously, we're afraid of Richardson throwing the ball. Anthony Richardson not only is are we concerned about accuracy, but we're also concerned about pass volume. That's what Mike Leone said last week on the first Stack Hunters podcast. Make sure you guys are checking that one out. He talked about Best Ball Mania 4 strategy and also gave some great insights into fantasy. But he was out on Pittman. He was out on some of the other later Indianapolis Colts wide receivers chris we'll go to you are you leaning into this Pittman fall or are you also just letting your hands go and saying Pittman, you can just continue to fall in the adp streets for the seventh round 
Sign me up, man. It's the pure opposite of Deontay Johnson. Again, when he started this summer as a late fifth round pick in the seventh round, our ability to project situation in the NFL as a whole is terrible. All I see is a player who Matt Harmon deciphered to be one of the best route runners in football a couple years ago, who at the very least is high-end wide receiver two talent, who consistently earns 25-plus percent target share. You have an alpha in the NFL in the seventh round. This is Amari Cooper last year all over again. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend I know what Anthony Richardson will or won't do as a passer. And if you want to hedge away from Richardson, then don't draft Pierce. Don't draft Josh Downs. Don't even tell me about Jelani Woods. Just draft Michael Pittman. I, I have a saying. I'll take fringe on a great team, right? Give me Richie James on the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'll take great on a terrible team, right? Give me Amari Cooper last year with Jacoby Brissett. But I'm not taking fringe on a bad team. So Alec Pierce is a great player. I love him. But that's the guy you don't draft at really any cost because of what Anthony Richardson may or may not do. Even Justin Fields two years ago, quote-unquote, can't throw Justin Fields produced a 170-point fantasy season for Darnell Mooney. Pittman's far better than Darnell Mooney. I'll take 170 fantasy points in the seventh round. Mike Leone's overthinking it. Seventh round, I'll take a 25% target share, even off 440 targets. I'm sorry, pass attempts. All right, Aaron, are you in agreement with Chris, or are you leaning Mike Leone? I'm, I'm with Chris on this with Michael Pittman. He's falling in the seventh round. He's doing the reverse Deontay Johnson. And here's here's the, the thing with Pittman was the deja vu feeling. Chris mentioned Amari Cooper. Go back and look at ADP trends last year with Amari Cooper, which just to refresh people, Deshaun Watson joins, but he's going to be suspended. Jacoby Brissett's the QB. So we see Amari Cooper slide all the way down to wide receiver 31 just inside the top 70 overall players in best ball because, oh, Brissett can't throw, and Watson suspended, and Browns, even though Amari Cooper was coming off wide receiver 21 and wide receiver 25 in points per game, it is PPR, but still at half PPR, maybe a slight decrease in, in those rankings. But it was QB uncertainty. We've, we've got to fade him. And what does Amari Cooper do? Wide receiver 17 because volume is key. And that's the same case with Pittman. It's He's a different style of receiver. I get it. But Pittman is coming off back-to-back -back seasons, 25% target share. If I know the passing volume probably goes down with Anthony Richardson, but that means that one guy can still do all right in looking at all those weapons. And Chris and I, we agree with Jelani Woods. Jelani Woods, he's exciting. But the reality is he's only been playing tight end, just tight end, not NFL tight end, tight end, for three seasons, only three seasons in his career. He was a collegiate receiver. He was a collegiate quarterback that converted a receiver to tight end. And we know tight ends take a while. Alec Pierce, good speed threat. There's a couple of things that look good on the profile, but I don't see Richardson like targeting Pierce a whole, whole lot. How about Michael Pittman, who had this laughably low A dot, right? If Richardson gets in trouble and he's releasing the ball quick, it's going to Pittman. It's not Josh Downs, who's already dealing with injuries. Get out of here with Isaiah McKenzie. Pittman can still eat. He's currently going as wide receiver 34, and that ADP is right inside top 70, Amari Cooper 2.0. And just pure volume, the wide receiver 34 should be his absolute floor. He's going to return value. He's going to help you advance. Is he going to help you win leagues? No, but in the seventh round, like that's a great pick. You need those guys that are going to advance you. The last biggest faller that we have on today's docket, Isaiah Pacheco is dealing with a knee injury or some sort of an injury. I don't know. Maybe it's a knee. Maybe it's something else. I Look, maybe, maybe Chris, Aaron, you can set, shed some light on it, but uh, Isaiah Pacheco is falling in the ADP streets. Is it an Eric Prince? Is it Clyde Edwards-Elair? Is it Jarek McKinnon? Who is the running back we're supposed to pivot to in this Kansas City offense? Aaron, we'll start with you. Who do you think? Ooh, this might get us pulled off the player profiler air, but when you look <laughs> at cost, it's got to be Clyde Edwards-Alaire. It's got to be Clyde Edwards-Alaire because Jarek McKinnon's way too expensive. Oh, hold on, hold on, Aaron. I see Matt Kelly is trying to get in on this podcast. He... He, oh, he's handing me a pink slip. I think he's handing me a pink slip. 
<laughs> for those who are unfamiliar <laughs> with the with the player profiler takes, Clyde Edwards Alaire is not listed on the player profiler website. He is just listed as a bad running back. Aaron has committed some sacrilege here advocating for Clyde Edwards Alaire. Any last thoughts on Clyde Edwards Alaire? At cost, right? He's an 18th round dart throw. And look at the backfield. Really, the backfield is there's Pacheco, his seventh round pick last year. McKinnon's 31 years old. Daenerik Prince is undrafted free agent. Clyde Edwards Alaire, yeah, he hasn't lived up being a first round pick, but really that backfield's wide open. And for people that love Pacheco, here is the tough thing. This is why you track games week to week during the season so you can go back and you don't, you, you have all the context and you don't get to rewrite history. Pacheco really didn't move the needle much in best ball. He, he truly didn't. He wasn't a guy that, that he'd look good on the NFL field. Sure, he might get 80, 90 yards, but he is a non-factor in the receiving game, like a sub 3% target share. And that wasn't even like strong RB2 numbers, right? So, you know, with Pacheco, even if he was healthy, like I don't really want Pacheco, but at his declining ADP, I've started to sprinkle them in a little bit because that's what you got to do. If you're in these big tournaments, you have to have some exposure to players. Just might be low, but with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, it's an easy case to make of going, look, the 18th round, you're probably not getting anything anyways, but why not a guy that, hey, when he started the season last year, I know a lot of it was touchdowns, but he was scoring fantasy points. He was scoring fantasy points better than Pacheco. Weirder things have happened in the NFL and in fantasy football. And it could just be like that that old school Patriots uh, rule with drafting running backs in fantasy is don't draft the expensive guy. Pacheco was great to draft last year in best ball because he was cheap and Edwards-Alaire was still pricey. But now Edwards-Alaire is free. Pacheco still relatively expensive for his skill. And McKinnon is just absurd. Just avoid. You're going to be disappointed in the guy, the 31-year-old that had a career season with, I think, under 300 rushing yards. Just don't draft that guy. Chris, who is your Kansas City Chiefs running back? So I'm going to say with Isaiah, it's not that it's a knee injury. It's a need a reason to fade him injury because everyone knew it was a bad pick in the sixth round. But now that he goes after James Conner, after Quentin Johnston, after a uh, name, the 12 players behind him I would have taken before him, now you can draft him. Because unfortunately with the Chiefs, they play the Bengals in Week 17. So every player on that team has to be on your radar. Because whichever one gets two touchdowns that week wins you money. The cheaper Pacheco gets, the easier I can stomach it. I agree CEH is probably the best bet, but not because of Pacheco or if he gets injured. If Pacheco misses time, it's probably Prince. Prince is a pretty impressive fringe prospect. He's certainly on the, the tail bench of my deepest dynasty leagues. Not really the type of player you draft in an 18-round best ball league, maybe in one of those 28-round FFPC ones. Maybe now you sprinkle him in once or twice for variance, but CEH is because McKinnon is one good tackle away from a wheelchair. And CEH was pretty good last year before he got injured. And that's what opened the door for other backs. And this is a team that's going to lead the league in touchdowns as it always does. And for a player that's not necessarily good, he will see the field and you never know. We live in, in a world where Jay Ajayi was a top running back at one point, where Damian Williams was a top 15 pick, so on and so forth. I'm just going to take the cheapest guy because we seem to have forgotten the old adage of when there's a murky running back committee, you just take the cheapest guy. There you go. We're learning from the best. Chris and Aaron, some of the best in the biz. We're going to shift gears here in just a moment to talk about best ball points added. That's right. Best ball points added is a advanced metric available to you on playerprofiler.com slash data analysis. Make sure you guys are checking that out. There are so many tools available to you on playerprofiler.com when you get your subscription and you can get the draft kit. You can get dynasty deluxe player rankings for best ball, the Scott fish bowl um, underdog all season long, all of it. It is great. So make sure you guys are checking this out. You can, in, in fact, use this data analysis tool and just look at best ball points added. So I've pulled it up here. Okay. You can go to fancy tools and data analysis. Oh, I'm not going to want to do uh, leave that, 
but you can sort by best ball points added. And so we can see uh, in 2020, even best ball points added per game, 22 for Christian McCaffrey. Alvin Kamara was second with 17.59. And then Dalvin Cook back in 2020 was third. But let's flip all the way to 2022. We can see that best ball points added per game leaders, Cooper Cup, Austin Eckler, and Justin Jefferson were our top three. What's even cooler about this is that you can only look, you can filter by position. If you just want to look at tight ends last year, Travis Kelsey was the number one by over three fantasy points, best ball points added per game. And you're asking yourself, Bradley, what are best ball points added? Best ball points added are the aggregate of a player's total points scored above the a quantified weekly threshold over the course of the season. If a player hits a really high spike week, that's going to reward that player's best ball points added. And this is important because players with more frequent or higher spike weeks, we're able to identify them and see the impact that they have on our best ball teams. So data from best uh, the best ball points added per game, that's pretty consistent year to year. We're going to get into that here in a second, but I do want to just show the people, our viewers and our listeners, that there are really cool tools for you to use in your butt in the best ball streets for you to compare year to year. And we're going to get into this in a second. Chris, Aaron, any other thoughts you want to add to best ball points added? It's it's uh, it's a fundamental concept you should always have in the back of your head, especially when ranking players. A term I use a lot is value over replacement, but that's so, more so for a traditional redraft league where best ball points added is the best ball version of that. And it's a big reason why a guy like Deontay Johnson in the fifth round, if you study a, a tool like this, you can find ways to make up his best ball points later in your draft compared to like Aaron was saying before a Marquise Brown Marquise Brown spike weeks in best ball to a degree are worth more than Deontay Johnson's floor weeks. Now go into a non best ball format where you set a lineup and it flips and people understand that on surface level, but I don't think people dive into that deep enough, especially in the latest rounds of, of your draft. When you see fantasy gamers just drafting the most boring players and leaving very volatile but high upside players off their teams, i.e. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, and with best ball points added to, it's this is the layer with best ball that you have to be thinking of upside, right? And upside does not mean just young players, but to pick a little bit more on Isaiah Pacheco, like the reason I just was never on board with Pacheco is that really you look at the game logs, and that's another feature too on player profiler. You go to any player page, bring up their, their game logs. And he had, during that stretch where he was, quote unquote, the guy, it was 10 points, 15 points, 16 points, 12, 10, 12, 12, 11. Like, the consistency is great, but he was only running back 42 in best ball points added. He really didn't do a whole lot to help your team. Where you take Jarek McKinnon, which when doing start sit streams last season, it was, hey, start Jarek McKinnon. There's more upsides, more upside. When I'm trying to like fill in that run, running back two spot, for instance, hey, Jarek McKinnon finished as running back 20 with it looks like it's twice as many best ball points added. So definitely in the back of your mind, like that's what you want to look at some of these guys and going, embrace the volatility. That's why I love Marquise Brown. Hey, like just the reminder for people, like if Kyler Murray does play week one, remember how Marquise Brown started the season. And the only reason he fell off was not because of Hopkins. It was because of a high ankle sprain. So embrace that volatility. That's what, that's, what's going to help your teams advance and win in best ball. All right. Not only are these important data points week to week, but season to season, we're going to take a look at a couple graphs here just briefly. And you'll be able to see that, over the course of, so the uh, at the x-axis in this graph is um, best ball points added per game for the 2020 season. And that same player is plotted on the y-axis 
for best ball points added per game in 2021. That had an R squared of 0.554. That's pretty strong. And we can see that the data is very strong, close to the zero zeros. We also see a pretty interesting trend of as good a player as we, as good players are good, like they'll stay good is what we'll see over the course of, of the, the couple seasons that we've charted. One of the big outliers is all the way up, whoa, all the way up at the five, almost 15, and that is Cooper Cup. We saw an enormous jump from Cooper Cup, a complete outlier season, but not an outlier from 2021 to 2022. So this was two years ago. The R squared was 0.55. Last year, the point, the R squared was 0.643, even stronger, less variation fewer outliers and clearly trending that good players stay good and bad players stay bad and that's like the big takeaway is that it's a really bad bet for you to say all right points per game basis best ball points per game basis this player is going to do really well compared to last year or do really poorly compared to last year obviously hitting on some of the outliers are are going to be our goals a player is probably going to reproduce what they do year over year in the best ball streets. Aaron, anything to add? And then we'll go to Chris. No, honestly, it was, it was encouraging to see the strong correlation. It, it really, really is. And, and that it got even stronger from last season compared to the year before, but it, it really does. It makes sense. It's once, once a player has established himself, like they rarely, Rarely do those guys just fall off completely and waiting for some of those breakout guys. And we're all guilty of it. We all believe a player is going to have a year three, year four breakout. But truth is the, the game has changed, right? If a player's good, we will see it sooner rather than later. So yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. This, this whole thing was a really, really long way to say, don't draft Nico Collins. <laughs> you just <laughs> took a long way around. It's also you you can say, listen, it's okay to buy an Alan Lazard jersey, but don't expect too much in best ball points at <laughs> At me next time, Chris. At me next time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So there are differences actually per position as well. Compared just looking at last year's data, the R squared for quarterbacks was 0.43. The R squared for running backs was 0.58. The R squared for wide receivers was 0.68. Eight, and the y, the tight ends R squared was 0.73. So essentially, like these late round tight ends, you know what you're getting, and just grab a bunch of them if you don't have the upside of Travis Kelsey. But also, like we should take a lot of confidence from the wide receiver correlation year to year. That wide receivers over the course of from one year to the next, we're probably not going to see very much variation. And it's really encouraging to see that there is a low delta for players who are even getting 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 best ball points added per game. That really, it does follow the same trend line. And it's really encouraging to see that. I, I think that as we're targeting players consistently year over year, we should focus our our attention on wide receivers and tight ends. There is a lot more volatility with quarterbacks, probably because of the rookies taking a year, a step forward, but also we saw how injuries impacted quarterbacks last year. Stafford taking a step backward, Justin Herbert taking a step backward. Those are clearly players that we are very high on, but at the same time dip down significantly in best ball points added year over year. I will say one thing, if you don't mind, about yes. the wide receiver. Um, and, and I definitely agree with the overall methodology and the takeaway of wide receiver consistency. I would be interested to see how this looks two years from now because the last two years, we happen to have a lot of rookie breakout receivers that then improved the sophomores. And we have a large gaggle of receivers that went through their age 28 and 29 season. So now that we have so many receivers pushing the late age apex and there's more question marks around new incoming rookies, it's possible we see a, a slightly lower level of that correlation this year with guys in those camps, right? But I, I think, you know, 
take everyone else, like what we said with Michael Pittman, I think overall it, it makes a lot of sense and it's it's spot on. But that's something that jumps to my brain when I see a graph like that. I agree with you. I wonder how those are going to uh, look next year as well. One of the the last point I want to bring up is that there are some players who are falling a very low or very high compared to their ADP and best ball points added in previous seasons. So in this graph, there is a, a graph where the x-axis is best ball points added from last season, the 2022 season, and the y-axis is the underdog ADP. The R-squared for all players is 0.666, which I don't know if you're superstitious or anything. Not a, not a great indicator, but a very strong correlation relative to what we see in the wild elsewhere. There are some players who were higher or lower on. We'll, I'll pick on one player higher or lower due to time. Let's talk. Can Chris Olave take that next step? We talked about how he has some positive matchups, some a lot of dome games. Derek Carr is now there. But Michael Thomas is there, Juwan Johnson. There are other good players. Can Chris Olave ascend higher than what the best ball points added regression model is indicating? I would I would say, yeah, it's 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 one that's an okay bet to take. If you're going to go based on the model, then certainly there's risk. If you're going to like Garrett Wilson, then you have to like Chris Olave because every step of their careers, they're the exact same player. It's It's eerie how similar they are. And even if he doesn't, meet the criteria that you would expect he then falls into the camp of a low advance rate but potentially tournament winning guy because of the playoff schedule it's the only loss here is that i wish he wasn't a second round pick but you have to take stabs and based on everything we've seen you should believe in his talent and to add on top of that too there is some context to add just remember folks andy dalton was quarterback last season and it wasn't that dalton was bad at throwing the football it was that the saints just didn't throw the football. In redraft last season, I was fading Chris Olave every week. I would get start sick questions. Hey, Chris Olave or player A or player B. And the hard thing was that with fantasy football being pure volume, that it really is. You're not getting volume, not really doing much. And Olave wasn't moving the needle much, but some of that was the advanced metrics looked great. Number 10 target rate. It's just when your team is only running 30, 30 pass plays per game, it's hard to really do well, but Derek Carr, the big money investment, I would anticipate that the Saints are going to throw the ball more. And it's not going to go to Michael Thomas. He'll he'll get his, but this team knows Chris Olave is the alpha. He showed enough there. He can build on last season. So Chris Olave, I'm not afraid of. All right. One last player. And this is a player that the regression model has higher than EDP, and that is James Conner. He's come up a few times for us, Chris and Aaron, in this chat. We saw what he was able to do while Kyler Murray was out. He was leaned upon heavily. We anticipate it's going to be either Colt McCoy or Clayton Toon, who's handling uh, backup duties for Kyler or starting if Kyler does miss some games at the beginning of the season. Does James Conner reprise his role as the bell cow 80 to 90% snap share, 20 plus touches per game. Can he continue to be a top 10 running back and return on RB27 ADP? Yeah, a, a thousand percent. The only risk with James Conner is injury. In the meantime, he's going to be great. If you looked at my exposures, I typically keep all players between 5 and 18% if I can. Conner is a player for me that's at 16%, where Chris Olave is a player that's more at 5 or 6%. I have a comfortable exposure to Olave, but based on what we just said, there is still a lot of risk. Whereas James Conner, the only risk is the risk that all players carry, and that's injury. Yeah, and Conner last season, usually the arguments against Conner this year is, oh, Kyler Murray's going to be gone, and it's the backup QB. It's not even going to be Colt McCoy, right? Colt McCoy's dealing with an injury as well. So let's just say worst-case scenario. Maybe it's Clayton Toon or some quarterback that shouldn't even be a backup in the NFL. I'm still not worried with James Conner because Kyler Murray tore his ACL. Conner was still there and volume's key. They just kept feeding him. Like you look at the game logs there. It was like from week 10. I think week nine was the, the weird week where they just cut Benjamin out of the blue who had been producing and then just said no more. 
And from that point, it was James Conner and a bunch of nothing behind him. Keontae Ingram didn't do anything. Corey Clement was a special teams guy. Like you saw the snap share, like 95%, 97%, 96%, 91%, 97%, and just getting all this workload, especially some in the receiving game too. He's not uber efficient, but just he can get touches. And that backfield. top five in routes run for Ravens last year. Yeah, yeah. And he's not a route specialist, but he's going to, no matter what, no matter what the game script is, he's going to be on the field, going to be getting touches. The backfield is identical to last season. They didn't add anyone. They didn't draft anyone. They didn't sign anyone. There's some undrafted guys. But with James Conner, of course, the only real concern is just injuries. He always misses some games. But besides that, James Conner, his ADP has stayed – Exactly the same. Like he had a top 10 season uh, last year and we're drafting him as RB 27. There's no risk, right? Minimal risk at that. Guys, it's been awesome having you on the Stat Masters. Make sure you guys are following the Stat Masters. Make sure you're subscribed to the playlist on Roto Underworld. Make sure you guys are subscribing right here, hitting the red subscribe button. We've got a great podcast that just debuted. First mover, Mark Garcia, high low. You guys know him on Twitter. Excellent DFS player, high level guy. You're going to learn a lot. He just did an awesome pod on Titan Premium and the psychology of Titan Premium and how you should attack tight ends in a Titan Premium league. Check it out. It's some awesome stuff. Aaron, Chris, Let's hit the socials. Where can people find your work? Where can people follow you? I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at AaronStew09. Uh, you know, I got to start tweeting a little bit more. Hit me up. And, and uh, you know, if you have any questions or anything, feel free to, to engage with any tweets I put. I, I think it's about time that I become a smart ass again on Twitter. You can get me at Value Draft Picks because that's what I'm all about, Value Draft Picks. And he's also now a Christian Watson stan. That's right. Chris is on board. Let's go. All right. On behalf of Chris and Aaron, I'm Bradley. Until next time, good luck in the best ball streets, my stack hunters. 